0: Book two Chapter two of History of the Reformation in the sixteenth century Volume one by Jean Henri Mel d'aubigny translated by Henry Beveridge. This Librivox recording is in the public domain. Book two Chapter two Scholasticism and the Classics Luther's Piety, his discovery of a Bible, his sickness, the thunderstorm, his entrance into a convent luther had attained his eighteenth year he had tasted the pleasures of literature and burning with eagerness to learn he sighed after a university and longed to repair to one of those fountains of science at which he might quench his thirst for knowledge his father wished him to study law and already saw him filling an honourable station among his fellow-citizens gaining the favour of princes and making a figure on the theatre of the world it was resolved that the young student should repair to erfurt luther arrived at this university in the year fifteen hundred and one jadokas surnamed the doctor of the Isenach, was then teaching the scholastic philosophy with much success Melanchthon regrets that the only thing then taught at Erfurt should have been a dialectics bristling with difficulties. He thinks that if Luther had found other professors there, if he had been trained in the milder and calmer discipline of true philosophy, it might have moderated and softened the vehemence of his nature. The new scholar began to study the philosophy of the Middle Ages in the writings of Ockham, Scotus, Bonaventura, and Thomas Aquinas. At a later period he had a thorough disgust for all this scholasticism. The very name of Aristotle, pronounced in his hearing, filled him with indignation. He even went to the length of saying that, if Aristotle was not a man, he would have no hesitation in taking him for the devil. But his mind, in its eagerness for learning, stood in need of better nourishment and he began to study the splendid monuments of antiquity the writings of cicero and virgil and the other classics he was not contented like the common run of students with committing the productions of these writers to memory he endeavoured above all to enter into their thoughts to imbue himself with the spirit which animated them to appropriate their wisdom to comprehend the end of their writings and enrich his understanding with their weighty sentiments and brilliant images he often put questions to his professors and soon outstripped his fellow students possessed of a retentive memory and a fertile imagination whatever he read or heard remained ever after present to his mind as if he had actually seen it so shone luther in his youth the whole university says melancthon admired his genius but even at that period this young man of eighteen did not confine his labours to the cultivation of his intellect he had that serious thought that uplifted heart which god bestows on those whom he destines to be his most faithful servants luther felt that he was dependent on god a simple yet powerful conviction the source at once of profound humility and great achievements he fervently invoked the divine blessing on his labours. Every morning he began the day with prayer, then he went to church, and on his return set to study, losing not a moment during the course of the day. To pray well, he was wont to say, is more than the half of my study. Every moment which the young student could spare from his academical labours was spent in the library of the university. Books were still rare. And he felt it a great privilege to be able to avail himself of the treasures amassed in this vast collection one day he had then been two years at erfurt and was twenty years of age he opens several books of the library one after the other to see who their authors were one of the volumes which he opens in its turn attracts his attention he has never before seen one like it he reads the title it is a bible a rare book at that time unknown. His interest is strongly excited. He is perfectly astonished to find in this volume anything more than those fragments of Gospels and Epistles which the Church has selected to be read publicly in the churches every Sabbath day. Hitherto he had believed that these formed the whole Word of God. But here are so many pages, chapters and books of which he had no idea. His heart beats as he holds in his hand all this divinely inspired scripture and he turns over all these divine leaves with feelings which cannot be described. The first page on which he fixes his attention tells him the story of Hannah and young Samuel. He reads and his soul is filled with joy to overflowing. The child whom his parents lend to Jehovah for all the days of his life THE SONG OF HANNAH, IN WHICH SHE DECLARES THAT THE LORD LIFTS UP THE POOR FROM THE DUST, AND THE NEEDY FROM THE DUNGHILL, THAT HE MAY SET HIM WITH PRINCES. YOUNG SAMUEL, GROWING UP IN THE PRESENCE OF THE LORD, THE WHOLE OF THIS HISTORY, THE WHOLE OF THE VOLUME WHICH HE HAS DISCOVERED, MAKE HIM FEEL IN A WAY HE HAS NEVER DONE BEFORE. HE RETURNS HOME, HIS HEART FULL. Oh, thinks he, would it please God one day to give me such a book for my own? Luther as yet did not know either Greek or Hebrew, for it is not probable that he studied these languages during the first two or three years of his residence at the university. The Bible, which had so overjoyed him, was in Latin. Soon returning to his treasure in the library, he reads and re-reads, and in his astonishment and joy returns to read again. The first rays of a new truth were then dawning upon him in this way god has put him in possession of his word he has discovered the book of which he is one day to give his countrymen that admirable translation in which germany has now for three centuries perused the oracles of god it was perhaps the first time that any hand had taken down this precious volume from the place which it occupied in the library of erfurt this book lying on the unknown shelves of an obscure chamber is to become the book of life to a whole people. The Reformation was hid in that Bible. This happened the same year that Luther obtained his first academical degree, viz. that of bachelor. The excessive fatigue which he had undergone in preparing for his trials brought on a dangerous illness. Death seemed to be approaching, and solemn thoughts occupied his mind. He believed that his earthly course was about to terminate. There was a general lamentation for the young man. What a pity to see so many hopes so soon extinguished. Several friends came to visit him in his sickness, among others a priest, a venerable old man, who had with interest followed the student of Mansfeld in his labours and academic life. Luther was unable to conceal the thought which agitated him. Soon, said he, I will be called away from this world. But the old man kindly replied, My dear bachelor, take courage, you will not die of this illness. Our God will yet make you a man who, in his turn, will console many other men. For God lays his cross on him whom he loves, and those who bear it patiently acquire much wisdom. These words made a deep impression on the sick youth when so near death he hears the lips of a priest reminding him that God, as Samuel's mother had said, lifts up the miserable. The old man has poured sweet consolation into his heart and revived his spirits. He will never forget him. This was the first prediction that the doctor heard, says Mathesius, Luther's friend, who relates the fact, and he often mentioned it. It is easy to understand what Mathesius means by calling it a prediction. When Luther recovered, something within him had undergone a change. The Bible, his illness, and the words of the old priest seemed to have made a new appeal to him. As yet, however, there was nothing decided in his mind. He continued his studies and, in 1505, took his degree of Master of Arts, or Doctor in Philosophy. The University of Erfurt was then the most celebrated in Germany the others in comparison with it being only inferior schools the ceremony was as usual performed with great pomp a procession with torches came to do homage to luther the fate was superb and all was joy luther encouraged perhaps by these honours was disposed to devote himself entirely to law agreeably to his father's wish but god willed otherwise while luther was occupied with other studies while he began to teach the physics and ethics of aristotle and other branches of philosophy his heart ceased not to cry to him that piety was the one thing needful and that he ought above all to make sure of his salvation he was aware of the displeasure which god testifies against sin he remembered the punishments which he denounces against the sinner, and he asked himself in fear whether he was sure of possessing the divine favour. His conscience answered, No. His character was prompt and decided. He resolved to do all that might be necessary to give him a sure hope of immortality. Two events which happened in succession shook his soul and precipitated his determination. Among his friends at the university was one named Alexis, with whom he was very intimate. One morning it was rumoured in Erfurt that Alexis had been assassinated. Deeply moved at the sudden loss of his friend, he puts the question to himself, "'What would become of me were I called thus suddenly?' The question fills him with the greatest dismay. This was in the summer of 1505. Luther, left at liberty by the ordinary recess of the university, resolved on a journey to Mansfeld to revisit the loved abodes of his infancy, and embrace his parents. Perhaps he also wished to open his heart to his father, and sound him as to the design which was beginning to form in his mind, and obtain a consent to his embracing another calling. He foresaw all the difficulties which awaited him. The indolent habits of the majority of priests displeased the active minor of Mansfeld. Besides, ecclesiastics were little esteemed in the world. Most of them had but scanty incomes, and the father, who had made many sacrifices to maintain his son at the university, and who saw him at twenty a public teacher in a celebrated school, was not disposed to renounce the hopes which his pride was cherishing we know not what passed during luther's visit at mansfeld perhaps the decided wish of his father made him afraid to open his heart to him he again quitted the paternal roof to go and take his seat on the benches of the university and had reached within a short distance of erfurt when he was overtaken by one of those violent storms which are not unfrequent among these mountains the thunder bursts and strikes close by his side luther throws himself on his knees it may be his hour is come death judgment and eternity surround him with all their terrors and speak to him with a voice which he can no longer resist wrapped in agony and in the terror of death as he himself describes it he makes a vow if he is delivered from this danger to abandon the world and give himself entirely to god after he had risen from the ground, still continuing to see that death must one day overtake him, he examines himself seriously and asks what he ought to do. The thoughts which formerly agitated him return with full force. He has endeavoured, it is true, to fulfil all his duties. But in what state is his soul? Can he appear with a polluted heart before the tribunal of a god so greatly to be feared? He must become holy, and, accordingly, he now thirsts for holiness as he had thirsted for science. But where is it to be found? How shall he acquire it? The university has furnished him with the means of satisfying his desire of knowledge. Who will extinguish the agony, the flame which is consuming him? To what school of holiness must he bend his steps? He will go into a cloister. The monastic life will save him how often has he heard tell of its power to transform a heart to sanctify a sinner to make a man perfect he will enter a monastic order he will then become holy and in that way secure eternal life such was the event which changed the calling and all the destinies of luther we here recognize the finger of god it was his mighty hand which threw down on the high road this young master of arts, this candidate for the bar, this future lawyer, in order to give an entirely new direction to his life. Rubianus, one of Luther's friends, wrote to him at a later period, Divine providence had a view to what you were one day to become, when, as you were returning from your parents, the fire of heaven made you fall to the ground, like another Paul near the town of Erfurt and carrying you off from our society threw you into the order of augustine analogous circumstances thus signalized the conversion of paul and luther the two greatest instruments which divine providence has employed in the two greatest revolutions which have taken place upon the earth luther again enters erfurt his resolution is immovable and yet it is not without a pang that he is going to break ties which are dear to him he gives no hint to any one of his intentions. But one evening he invites his friends in the university to a cheerful and frugal repast. Music once more enlivens their social intercourse. It is Luther's adieu to the world. Henceforth, instead of those loved companions of pleasure and toil, monks. Instead of those cheerful and intellectual conversations, the silence of the cloister instead of that enchanting music the grave notes of the tranquil chapel god demands it all must be sacrificed yet for this last time once more the joys of youth his friends are full of glee luther even leads them on but at the moment when they are abandoning themselves to mirth and frolic the young man becomes unable any longer to restrain the serious thoughts which occupy his heart he speaks, he makes known his intention to his astonished friends, who endeavour but in vain to combat it. That same night Luther, afraid perhaps of importunate solicitation, quits his lodgings, leaving behind him all his effects and all his books, with the exception of Virgil and Plautus, as yet he had no Bible. Virgil and Plautus, epic and comedy, singular representation of Luther's mind. In fact, there was in him a whole epic, a beautiful, splendid, and sublime poem. But being naturally inclined to gaiety, pleasantry, and broad humour, he mingled more than one familiar trait with the solemn and magnificent groundwork of his life. Furnished with these two books, he proceeds alone, in the dark, to the convent of the Eremites of St. Augustine, and asks to be received. The door opens and closes, and he is separated for ever from his parents, his fellow students, and the world. This took place on the seventeenth of August, fifteen hundred and five, when Luther's age was twenty-one years and nine months. End of book two, chapter two.